When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Basic, Trevor Noah. John was really wonderful, man. He was so gracious and he was fun and he was interesting. And one day he called me into his office. He took off his shoes. I was like, all right, this is clearly like white people things. Um, <laughs> and, and he said, what size are you? And I said, uh, um, size, size 11. And he was like, oh, try, try these on. I was like, oh, is this like a fitting? I was like, this is weird, whatever. And so I try to put my foot in, in the shoe and I was like, no, I think they're too small. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, he's like, I'm an eight. And he said to me, I want you to remember that anytime somebody says you cannot fit into my shoes, understand that you have your own shoes to fill. Don't worry about mine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and we have even more moments of Zen headed your way. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I would like to welcome you to The Daily Show Podcast. This is actually not a Daily Show Podcast, but it's starting to feel a little bit like one, right, Doug? It is, isn't it? Jen, we've talked previously to Daily Show creators Madeline Smithberg and Liz Winstead. We also had a great conversation with Jon Stewart, and today we complete our Daily Show trilogy. Or really four parts, because we had two parts with John. That's true. But that's because we are joined today by Trevor Noah, who in 2015, as many people know, replaced John Stewart as host of The Daily Show. It would have been a daunting task for anyone to step into the very big shoes of a departing cable legend. But then you consider what was happening in the world when Trevor took over. Yeah, it was really crazy. Trump's presidential campaign was just getting underway, and that would be followed by the uh, Trump administration that turned the news cycle into a nonstop barrage of dumpster fires. Between that and COVID and a lot of turmoil in the political arena in general, it was trial by fire for the, the young comedian from South Africa. But Trevor found his footing and he made the show his own. And then last September, he shocked his audience by abruptly announcing that he planned to leave the show late last year. We'll dive into all that and more during our conversation with Trevor. And after our chat with Trevor, Doug and I will reconvene to discuss the major headlines of that conversation. Trevor Noah, welcome to Basic. We're so thrilled to have you today. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So, you know, Trevor, we always start the, uh, the podcast off with a question we ask all our guests, which is, do you remember when you first saw cable television? Now, the majority of our guests are from the U.S., although Sam B. Was, uh, is from Canada. We might have had another Canadian. Uh, but, uh, you know, you are, you are our first guest from outside of North America. And so I'm not even sure there was anything like cable television when you were growing up. But could, tell us about TV in South Africa and, and what, what it was like and what you were watching growing up. Well, it's interesting. I, I guess, you know, TV in South Africa was maybe – 20 years behind the U.S., you know, in, in how it was rolled out. So I remember growing up, we had three TV channels, and they were called TV1, TV2, and TV3. Very creative. And, um, and those three channels catered to different parts of the population. Like, they were, literally, they were almost broken down by language, by, by race, 
you know, because the country came out of apartheid and one of the first things the National Broadcasting Corporation tried to do was create as much content as possible for all the different groups of people who had been left out for so long. So that's pretty much what I grew up with. Then at some point, there was um, a, a channel called Mnet, which was our first, I think, if I, you know, I stand to be correct about it, that was probably our first like cable type, you know, television, but it was one channel. It was one channel and it was premium and they had like, they had great sports. They would play a movie every Sunday and it was like a blockbuster movie. You know, they would have like face off. And then if you didn't watch it there, you'd only get to watch face off like three years later on the national broadcaster. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was huge. So that was that was like my first exposure to it. So correct me if anything I'm about to say is incorrect, but I believe from what I've read that you got involved in entertainment when you were pretty young. You were doing, you know, some radio, some some acting, but it was, I believe, at the urging of a cousin that you actually got up on stage to do stand up for the first time. Can yeah. you talk about yeah. that experience a little bit? Well, it was, you know, everything was really wonderfully informal in South Africa when I when I started in the entertainment industry, you know, so we actually have a, a really good film and TV industry. You know, we don't we don't have the funding, you know, to make the scale of production that you see in the U.S. and maybe in other parts of the world. But we we had really well trained crews and pretty strong apparatus, you know, that worked on creating everything, you know, movies, television, series, documentary, whatever it needed to be. But the comedy scene was burgeoning. You know, stand up comedy was relatively new, and I mean, it, it makes sense. You're in a country where um, you didn't have freedom of speech. It's, it stands mm -hmm. to reason that there wouldn't be stand-up comedy. So I was, I was, I would say maybe the the second generation of like free comedians, as I always like to think of. Like the, you know, there were there were the pioneers, um, a group of guys who you know I'm still friends with many of them today, who they started off the scene in South Africa, mm -hmm. and then when I got into it, it was it was still pretty informal. You know, there there were no comedy clubs. I. I still think, I don't think we have, people have tried to create comedy clubs, but I don't think we have one. You know, we'd have comedy nights at a, at a venue, a bar, a restaurant, whatever it was. Uh, and that's, that's how I got into it. You know, my cousin and my friend who I was living with at the time, they invited me to a show to come and watch stand up with them. And uh, yeah, at the show, you know, they just, one of the, one of the comedians sort of decided to open it up to the audience. And yeah, I jumped up and I guess I've been jumping up ever since. <laughs> and you had never given a thought to doing that before. No, not at all. Not That's at all. amazing. I was just like, no. So I'm curious, before you became part of The Daily Show, did you watch The Daily Show? And what, like, what did you think? No, I didn't. You didn't no, at all? I, 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 before I joined The Daily Show, the only time I had seen The Daily Show was, so this was interesting. Once we got a few more channels, we would get a version of CNN called CNN International, which still runs today. And The Daily Show was had a weekly version of like a cut-down mixed version of mm -hmm. The Daily Show on CNN International. I thought The Daily Show was a CNN show. I'm sure many other people around the world did as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought Jon Stewart was a real news anchor. Oh, that's interesting. And I remember watching him one day just like while CNN was, you know, you'd be watching CNN and it came on. And I was just like, man, this guy does not take his job seriously at all. <laughs> I've never seen somebody it's like this guy is like, he's really just, wow. He's screwing around. He's, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, damn, they have, they have really weird news anchors in America. They, they don't care. 
And because it was CNN International, the rest of the news anchors weren't Americans. So you had like the Christian Armand pause, you had news coming in from like Hong Kong, you had news from London, you had... So it wasn't like CNN the way you think of it. It's, it's mm-hmm. a very different version of, of CNN in the rest of the world. We don't have punditry. There's right. no like boxes of people fighting each other. There isn't that. It's really just news. And, and so this guy stood out. You know, I almost feel like he wouldn't stand out as much in CNN in America, strangely enough. But for us, it was really an outlier. And I remember seeing it once and thinking, man, that person is, wow, he's out there. That, that was wild. And, and that was it. And that was the only, the only idea I had had of the show. But I didn't get it. I didn't watch it because, like, the content, I was like, what? I don't know what, what's happening here. I don't know what any of these, who these people. Yeah, you probably didn't know what he was even right. talking about. Yeah, I don't know who these people are. I don't, I don't get the, you know. But at some right. point, they must have seen your bootleg Zambian DVDs because they <laughs> you got you got a call from the Daily Show about maybe coming aboard as a correspondent and you were not interested originally, right? Well, no, it's not that I wasn't interested. Um, ah. I got a call from I got a call from John, and it's funny. I'll, I'll never forget where I was, and I don't know if it's because of how important the call was, or rather because of how weird the situation of the call was. I was starting my first UK tour ever, you know, and this was it was really exciting for me. I'd never toured internationally before this point and here I had a tour going around the UK and I mean the whole UK everything from Newcastle to Brighton to London Manchester you name it and my phone rings and I was standing in Harrods you know it's a really high-end strange department store that is notorious in in the UK for being able to get you anything you want if you have enough money they can get you anything you want and i did not have the money for anything i want but i'd like going and walking around inside it did you ask them to get you a job on the daily show <laughs> <laughs> they real full they, service there at harris <laughs> they uh they had a um they had an underwater scooter is what they're so like a moped that goes underwater like so you don't need any scuba equipment and it has its own oxygen and i remember just standing in front of this thing staring at it and i think it was like fourteen thousand dollars and i was trying to calculate how many years it would take me to be able to afford it and how, and I was just standing, and then my phone rings and it's a random American number I didn't know. And it was John Stewart on the phone. And yeah, that, the first conversation I had with him was me staring at this like luminous yellow underwater scooter while he was telling me about coming to join the Daily Show. And he was really cool and he was funny and he was, you know, didn't take himself too seriously and... You know, he was, I remember the the, the beginning and, you know, you know, if you know, John, you know how he is. He's, he said, Trevor, how are you? Uh, you know, and if you know me, my, uh, uh, my, my name's, my name's John Stewart. And I was like, ah, sorry, can you remind me? He's like, oh, I, I host a show in America. It was called the daily show. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah the daily show. I've heard of it. He's like, as you should, very important show. Very, you know, and, and but, but with his name, he was like, you don't need to know who I am. It doesn't. And then with the show, he's like, you should know that. But he was joking. And I could hear this guy's joking. And, and we laughed and we just talked about life. And he's like, what are you up to? He's like, I saw your stand-up. I think you're very funny. And would you like to come to America? And I was like, well, I come. I do shows. And he's like, would you like to join the TV show? And I said, well, it's a, a nice offer, but when and how? And he said, and he told me it was basically imminent. And I said, I, I, unfortunately, I can't because I, you know, I have a tour that I've scheduled and I'm, I've just started touring. And he said to me, I'll never forget, he was like, he's like, I'm sorry, did you just turn down John Stewart, host of The Daily Show? And <laughs> He wasn't used <laughs> and to hearing that a lot in those days. And I laughed and I said, uh, I said, yeah, I did. I'm, I did. I'm, I'm sorry. And he said, no. He said, hey, man, I get it. Um, kudos to you. And he said, I, he said, I almost envy you because 
you're doing a thing that I've always wanted to do and never did, which is you're in, you're doing comedy in the world. And what is comedy like in the world and this whole thing? And, and he said, well, if you're ever in New York, look me up. And, uh, and I said, I would. And that look me up, I think happened, I think a year later. Mm-hmm. That's when I finally came to the U.S. and I was doing shows out here. And then, yeah, that's when we met in person. And then you decided to join at that point? Still didn't decide to join. No, because I, I went in because I don't I didn't know what the thing was. Right. You yeah. know? So John said, why don't you come in, spend spend some time with us? And, you know, let's see if you want to do something. And because I watched the show and I was like, I this is not for me. I was like, what is this? You know, and as, as I said to him, I was like, with all due respect, this is not for me. And he said, well, I think it is. Just come in. Just come and hang out. We'll have a good time. Just just come and hang out. doesn't matter. If you do nothing, it's fine. And so I was doing shows at a place called the, it was the Bleecker Street Theater at the time. Mm-hmm. I was doing a one-man show there. And so then I, I, I came to the Daily Show and I hung out. And I just sit around with these people while they would talk about you know, just like a, a level of world I had never been privy to. I understood, I knew about the Senate and Congress, and but now people were talking about filibusters and, you know, budget subcommittees and House judiciaries. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know what, I was like, who, what, is this a comedy show? What are we doing here? What is happening? <laughs> and these people were so smart and they were just throwing around all these terms and the phrases I'd never heard before and I was like this is not and then John would say something and everyone would laugh and I was like I don't know what he said I don't know what this is <laughs> clearly this is not for me and then John and I hung out and then we were just talking and he's like what do you think of New York what do you think of and we just had this conversation I was comedians and we laughed I mean like we laughed back like him and I we we'll, we really laugh when we spend time together and then he said that's what we should do on the show and I said what do you mean and he said this this conversation we should put this on the show I was like, what do you mean just put this on? He said, this exact, com- we should create this and put it on the show. And we're having that conversation early in the week. And he said, let's do it this Thursday. And so that's what it was. And we sat down and then just basically worked on turning it into what we call the chat. And that was my first appearance on the show. I think if I, if my memory serves me right, I think it was a Thursday. And it was, yeah, it was, was you, you and John I, on the set, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, I appeared yeah. on the show with him. Mm. We did a chat and that was it. And I was like, that was really fun. Thank you very much and goodbye. I had no interest in staying and being tied down. I was like, this is fun. I'll pop in when I pop in and I'll see you when I see you. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And then cut to, I want to say, I think it's the fall of 15. I'm starting to have conversations, John's starting to have conversations about leaving. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he, we'd been talking about this for a while. And he finally says, look, I'm going to leave. I don't want to tell anybody yet. We'll announce it after the first of the year. Um, and, and so we didn't, we couldn't go to work on sort of, you know, the next phase of the, of the, of the daily show until John announced. And I think he announced in February, was it 15, maybe, maybe, maybe it was the fall of 14. Did he announce in February of 15? Mm-hmm. When did you start, Trevor? You started in 15? I started in 15. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry. So, so let me back that up. So John started talking to us in the fall of 14 and mm-hmm. decided he was going to leave and wanted to announce it in early 15. So mm-hmm. come February 15, John announces he's leaving The Daily Show, and we immediately start talking about who could be the next host. And do, you, do you remember where you were? I remember the exactly the very first conversation. So, No, no, I'm saying the day he announced. Do oh, you remember where you were? I, I do, and I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I, remember it, I remember it well. <laughs> um, uh, I remember very well for a couple of different reasons, which we could talk we could talk about offline. <laughs> but uh, but I was you know I mean I knew look you know we we had we had orchestrated this to announce it at a very specific time for a lot of, I can't remember all the reasons, but uh, but he finally announced in February and we wanted to get onto the business of figuring out how to replace him, which was everybody's first question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do specifically remember the very first conversation we had about it with John, you know, so Michelle Gainless was the president of Comedy Central. I was her boss, you know, uh, at what they call the Viacom uh, Entertainment Group. And and we certainly wanted John's input and and John's support and John's thoughts. So we were down at John's office, Michelle and I, with John. And uh, actually, his first piece of advice was his best piece of advice, which is, don't try and find the next the, another me, right? Don't try and you know find you know like that's a that's a fool's errand. And he was absolutely right, you know, trying to find like the the B level version of John Stewart. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. go find somebody different with a different voice and a different take and a different point of view. And you know, it's time for a change. So we sat around and we threw out a couple of names, a couple of high profile names, and. Trevor Noah, all of us, uh, Michelle Gainless in particular. When you first started doing the show, she was the one that said, "Doug, you got to watch this guy. He's unbelievable." Oh wow! And you know, uh, you know, he he could be something. And uh, she's she's really the one who sort of you know sort of got me tuned into you early on. But yeah, we all sort of simultaneously said, "Yeah, Trevor could do this." You know, he's never done it before. He's he'd be kind of green. It's it's you know nobody knows who mm-hmm. he is necessarily, but he's got the. We all felt like you know. You had the tools. So when did, more importantly, when did you first hear that Comedy Central might be interested in you to host The Daily Show? I'm having dinner with you the moment John announces, actually announces to people, you know, and not on air, but obviously the, you know, the the taping. I'm with you when he does that. I'm with you in Los Angeles. And then what happens is you come out to watch my show 
at the Irvine. improv in Irvine, right? Well, let me day... set this up first. They, I get a call from your manager during the day saying, hey, Trevor's not feeling really well. He may not go yeah. on tonight. Like, yeah. So I go, look, no problem. I'll figure out how to – because I, I hadn't seen you perform live, and I really I yeah. just wanted to kind of meet you and, and, and get that – going and he's like yes you know i go no big deal just let me know and then he calls me a couple hours ago he's look he's gonna go on i go okay i'm coming down yeah it was it was so what happened was i i had like for like a day and a half two days maybe i just had like a real tummy ache i was like oh man i don't feel good you know i felt a little nauseous the whole thing. and it got worse it got worse and I had this pain in my stomach and then finally it got so bad i spent most of my day keeled over couldn't really breathe couldn't cough couldn't do anything and I went to an emergency room. I was staying with a friend in Pasadena at the time. Went to the emergency room. They couldn't find anything wrong with me. They're like, it might be a stomach bug, might be food poisoning, whatever. They gave me a bunch of painkillers. They're like, there's nothing we can do. This is this is all we can do to help you. Is give you the painkillers, go home, suck on ice, and then you know, let us know if you if you you feel any better. So I'm telling my manager, I'm like, this is I feel like death. He says. Doug Herzog is coming to see you tonight. Now, Doug Herzog is a very busy man, which is true of you are Doug Herzog. I mean, like I used were, to be everyone was, in the good old days. Everyone, <laughs> you're still Doug Herzog. I'm the artist formerly known everyone as. Everyone was pulling you in every direction. And he goes, and Norm goes, hey, man, if you can't do it, don't do it. But it is not easy to get Doug Herzog to come to an improv comedy show in Irvine. <laughs> <laughs> and... And he goes, what do you think? And I said, you know what? I'll take the painkillers and let's hope for the best. And so I get driven down. I can't drive. That's how bad it was. I get driven down to Irvine. I'm in the back of this car. The whole, like, you know, when you're in so, you're in so much pain that you, 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 you're almost passing in and out, you know, and then there's the painkillers as well and all of this. I get backstage I sit on a, I, I feel like I'm, I want to throw up. There's everything. Your, your body, I, I didn't know what was happening to me. I was really, really sick. I'm, I'm on a couch. I slept until showtime started. Opening acts to the thing. I went out, performed almost only on adrenaline. Most comedians and some, like a lot of singers actually know what that's like. Performed purely on adrenaline. Did the show, come back. I'm almost collapsing. You know, you came by, said hi, thank you. You know, everything had a great show. I, I felt like death. Turns out, I didn't know this. My appendix had ruptured, but very odd, it, it torn. It was a torn appendix. And so what happens, you know, if, when your appendix is torn is, you, you know, it starts seeping into your body. It's really painful. It's a whole thing. But they, they clearly missed it in the scans and, and whatever. And so they didn't know. And so that's what I was just working through. Mm. That same <laughs> appendix, Doug, and if you remember, when I first started hosting the show, burst in my, how many weeks had I been hosting? Just a few. Yeah, just like a few weeks in. Same thing, same pain. And I was like, ah, oh, this is back again, the whole thing. And this time, a doctor in New York came, checked me out of the show, and he's like, hey, I think you have a burst appendix. And I was like, no, I would know, surely I've had this before. And he's like, no, no, I think you have, a, you have to go get this checked out. And I went to the hospital and it was burst and then had the surgery and then wanted to come back the very next day. Like, I didn't want to skip a day. And then you guys were like, no, 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 stay in the hospital. <laughs> just, I remember you and Michelle everyone were like, no, 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 uh, you, uh, just stay in the hospital. And so I didn't do a show that day. 
and then I came back the, the following day, I think. That um, appendix should be like, uh, you know, displayed in like the Daily Show offices or something. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> it's a world it famous be. appendix. Yeah, but that was, it's just funny how that like, that same appendix, that same involving you and then the John, and it's like all these pieces. Well, um, sort of I, I, I knew I knew you weren't feeling well. I found out a little later, you know, that it was, you know, what, what was causing it. And I was even more impressed because it was a Sunday night. It was the last show of, I think, a weekend stand you were doing there. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Full House. You did 90 minutes. No one would ever know the difference. Um, you know, it was a great set. And yeah, you know, <laughs> the show must go on, I guess. Yep. Yeah. And then to answer the long of the question, the first time I heard a whisper of this, I never heard Comedy Central was considering me. It was more, you you know, they were, people were putting out those lists. Who do they think will host next? And who could it be? And, you know, is Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, um, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, you know, uh, who could it be? Who could it be? Who could it, be? it was like all these names, all these names, all these names, like everything. Michael Che, but it was like all these names. And then one random list was like Trevor Noah. <laughs> it was like the most, but it was the most random, arbitrary, like what? Even I looked at it and I was like, what? It was so random. It was so random. And then one day my manager called me. He's like, hey, would you? And I was like, well, would I what? What is this thing? This is crazy. And that's when we started the conversations about what would the what be? And then, then we sat down, and I, I remember saying, I said, look, I would do a show, but I wouldn't do that John show. I think that thing was very much this person, and I, I, not only would I not be able to do it, but I don't want to do it. Yeah, and then that was like, okay, well, let's sit down with Comedy Central and, and you know, and Viacom slash Paramount slash the whole MTV, and let's see what what we do. And then, and then yeah, and then we sat down and we had a discussion. And that was the first time when I had an inkling of an idea that there was a possibility that maybe I would be considered to be the host of The Daily Show. Do you remember getting an official offer and like what the circumstances were around that? I remember when I got the call, I was uh, I was in Dubai, I was doing shows in Dubai and I just finished one of my shows and I was in the back of a taxi with my friends and I got a call from my manager and he said, um, hey, he's like, how would you like to be the host of The Daily Show? I was like, what, what, what do you, like, wait, are you? And he said, yeah, said, um, Comedy Central, they, they want to go with you. And that was, I mean, it was wild, you know. It was, it was just like, you know, it's a life-changing moment. You don't forget where you, where you are when it happens, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And it was interesting because I was, I was with one of my best friends and producing partners, and we were standing in this, this venue in Dubai and there's music playing and, and he turns to me and he says, I hope you realize this may be one of the last moments where you have a semblance of anonymity. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, I'm just saying, man, this thing could this thing could change your life in more ways than we think. And I was like, ah, I don't know, you, you're overthinking it. We'll be fine. And then, you know, we all celebrated that night. And yeah, that was that was the night. At that point, based on the conversations you've been having with Doug and, and folks at Comedy Central, you felt like, okay, they're going to let me put my mark on this. Like, I have a sense oh, of... Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah, Jen, that's one thing that... That's that's the only reason I said yes. That's the only reason mm-hmm. I thought of, like, considering it was... What I loved was between Doug, Kent, and 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 Michelle, it's like we had, we had this great conversation about what is it going to be. And one thing I really loved was 
you know, Doug, you very, very blatantly said, hey, you you can't do John. We don't want somebody to try and do, do John. And I was like, I'm not trying to do John. This is not, uh, you know, so we're all on the same page. This is great. And I said, I, I would love to do more international stories. I would love to try and bring the news of the world, which I read and, I, and I, I've always been influenced by, into the show. And I was like, is there space for this? And everyone said, yeah, we think there is. And then as soon as it happened and the announcement got made, it almost got derailed. Uh, <laughs> it did indeed. Like like instant indeed. like instantaneously. Do you remember do you yeah. remember that? Do you remember that day? How I can never forget it. I, I think I'm the one. I, I was telling Jen before we started. Uh, uh, so just to you know, unfor- I'm sorry to do this to you, Trevor, but unfortunately to remind folks, some you know, some folks uh, turned up some old Trevor jokes on the internet uh, that they did, didn't particularly find appetizing, and uh, there was a big, big hubbub around it. Um, I think I remember texting you on. Uh, I think I still have the text chain on a on a wow. Twitter DM where uh, you know I let you know like, hey man, we may need to. Pull off, pull off a Twitter here for a minute, um, right? And uh, and then anyway, the whole the whole thing blew up. But I don't know what was it like from your perspective. It was it was really interesting from my perspective because what happened was you know the announcement was made, and I think the first story was in the New York Times. I didn't I didn't interview for that. Then what happened was I remember I was I was moving on for the next leg of my tour. We were going we're traveling from Dubai to Oman, and on the way to the airport, my friend Ryan turns to me and he goes, "Hey man." This guy on Twitter who's really coming after you, he's really angry and he's saying you're anti-Semitic and you're, you know, you're misogynistic and you're racist and you're, you're everything. And I was like, well, I'm not that. I was like, whatever. It's Twitter. People say anything. And he's like, no, man. This guy's like, he's really trying to pick up some steam here. He seems like he's coming for you. And I was like, look, well, I mean, I'm a comedian, you know? It's like comedians say crazy shits and I'm, I'm like, whatever. And I, I really brushed it off. And we flew and we landed in Oman and we slept. And the next day we woke up and I remember walking into the lobby of the hotel and one of the guys, there was a man who was mopping the floor and he turned to me and he said, Hey, you're the guy from CNN. And I was like, no comedy central. (laughs) And he said, no CNN. I said, no. Comedy Central. And he said, no, you're on CNN. And he pointed and literally my face was on CNN. Wow. And they were having a discussion about my tweets. And it was, and I, I and I'm standing there. I'm like, is you, your mind goes through, is this a prank? What is happening? What's going, what, that's CNN. That's my face. What are they? And it's on mute. So I don't even know what's happening. You're just seeing that, you know, I was like, wait, what, what, what is going on here? And that's when, you know, now we started picking up and then opened up my, you know, and that's the thing with time differences. You open up your email and now you've got hundreds of missed everything. Calls, texts, messages, everything. My world has turned upside down. And Doug, you were like, hey, are you, are you seeing this? And it was the whole thing. And, and it was just wild. And I, I remember sitting with my people. I was like, well, what, 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 is, what is going on here? 
and it was just a storm, Doug. And I mean, you remember it was it was a huge. It was a storm. It was it was it was a storm. But we 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 moved we moved through it. You know, we just put our heads down and said, you know, we we didn't necessarily agree with. Uh, look, I would I would say to you honestly, Trevor, um, the only the, the only thing that really struck me at the time was like they're not great jokes. It certainly wasn't your best material. So that was. Well, you see, and, and this is this is the thing that 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 got me. I remember talking to. Um, uh, Jabuki Young White, you know, just before he joined the Daily Show, and he's really prolific online. He's great on Twitter, and he's a fantastic comedian. Just and he's like a you know of a new generation of comedian. I love seeing like the shifts. And we were talking about stuff online, and he said to me, and he says, "What's well, not just me as Trevor? He's like, what screws you up and a lot of older people is you don't understand the nature of the internet the way we do as young people now." in that this generation, because like Jibuki and I, I guess are both millennials, but on either end of the spectrum. And he goes, he said, we see things as being, it's, it's the context is, is really important. And so the post only needs to be as up for as long as the context remains. And then the post can go away. You know, ironically, despite the misstep with, you know, around the Twitter thing, one of the, one of the many reasons we were interested in having you host the show beyond your talents and, you know, your comedic skills and political insights and everything else and an amazing poise uh, was your grasp of social media and and what right. was going on out right. there in the digital world, which, with all due respect, was not something John was interested in at all in those days. Oh, yeah. He would he said it out loud. As yeah. Well. yeah. John was so like, he just, he had he, no he interest. didn't want to participate. And we just thought mm-hmm. going forward, this is going to be really important. And it's going to be really important to have a host who understands mobile. Right. And right. Digital and social media. Um, so and I, which I think you do really. You know, I think you brought a lot of that to the show. Just real quick. I don't want to belabor this or anything, but it, this is a rare opportunity for me to ask both the talent and the executive, like what the conversations were about that behind the scenes. And was there ever a point where you were like, gosh, I don't know if we can keep Trevor because of this, or did you feel pretty strongly? Okay. No, no, not, 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 I mean, you know, no, you know, we were, we were upset about it. You know, people were sort of threw people for a loop, but we were like, no, this is, this is our guy. We, we thought they were throwaway, you know, jokes on a, on an, on an infant Twitter. Um, you know, Trevor, by the way, when he, when he, posted these things was probably in his early 20s, I think, or yeah, mid-20s like, like at five, best. Six years yeah, he's, a, yeah, he's a young yeah, guy out old, there, you yeah. know, throwing jokes out in the world, uh, which is what you do as a comedian. And we were like, no, this is our guy, and we're going to weather the storm. We're going to stand by this. And um, we put our heads down, and, you know, it passed, and we went. And that mm-hmm. was that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I don't, you know, I don't think it ever, I, 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 you, you, you could tell your side, Trevor, but I don't think it ever got to even any real discussions about, let's just lay low here for a minute and we'll, uh, we'll get going. You know, John was still going to be around for a couple, for a good part of a year, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I think, I mean, on my side, I was ready. I was, I even said to you, I was like, Hey, if I need to walk away, I get it. And we're like, nah. Cause like, yeah. Cause I was like, I, I can't lose what I don't have. Right. And I understood the fire that was coming in. I think the one thing we had, Jen, that was interesting was, and this is something you, you we often don't have in a hot take society. We had context, you know, so mm-hmm. I could, I was talking to, Doug and Michelle and to John and, you know, people going, wait, what's going on? So for instance, I remember like one of the tweets, this one always like bugged me because it was like, you want to talk about innocuous. There's a tweet where someone was like, oh, he's, he's fat shaming women. And the tweet was a woman had tweeted. She said, when a woman is loved, she becomes twice the woman she was before. And then I responded to that. And I said, is this your way of admitting that you've gained too much weight?" 
<laughs> and people were like, oh, this is like he's fat shaming her. What people didn't realize for context was that woman was my girlfriend. And we had had a conversation that morning about how we had both gained a ton of weight. We'd been having a great time we were on vacation, all of it. And we both like laughing and we like, you know, poking fun at each other. And it was like literally like like a love letter between the two of us on Twitter. And you don't you again, you don't consider it. It's public, but you you're replying Context. to somebody. You're having a private conversation. You think you don't think anyone else is part of it. And no one was, no one cared at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to me to see that like literally but now I'm saying to Doug, I'm like, that's my that's my girlfriend. That was my girlfriend, Doug. And Doug's <laughs> like, wait, what? By the way, from the Comedy Central standpoint, certainly from my standpoint. What you know, Trevor's tweets were like. I mean, compared to the kind of battles I had already fought during my career for <laughs> Beavis and Budhead, or Matt and Trey on South Park, or even John on The Daily Show, or Daniel Tosh, or just whatever it was, Chappelle, Chappelle, Anthony Jeselnik. I mean, you know, we this did not again. Oh, look, the world has changed, and the way you look at the world, particularly for guys who people who have jobs like I used to have. You know, we were maybe a little more cavalier about it than people are now. But our mm-hmm. bottom line was, is it funny and is it smart? And like I said, the, you know, with all due respect to Trevor, like they were ju- they were offhanded things. Oh, and, they, they were neither. Yeah, they were they were not. They were neither. So we were. So that's that's that was our biggest concern. I go like, judge me for a joke. Don't judge me for an idea of a joke. But I yeah, mean, exactly. This is to your, to your point, Jen. This was like it was a real conversation. And it was I was I honestly think I was truly lucky that I knew these people and they knew me before this happened. Because I think, Doug, and, and maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you would have been able to keep me or even wanted to had you not known me. You 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 had known me behind the scenes with John. You had known me working on, like, there was a well, semblance of, like, I know this human being as yeah. well. And that was the, the, the right, the Trevor's character was apparent from the moment we met him. You know, anybody who's worked with me over the years will tell you I had one rule about the workplace, which was no assholes allowed. Yep. Zero asshole policy. Zero asshole mm-hmm. policy. And, you know, I was like, no, nah, this is a good guy. He's a young guy. And, you know, it, 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 his greatest moment? No. But like uh, we just move on and we, we figure it out. Um, but which we which we we should get to the figuring it out part, which uh, which came <laughs> next as you stepped into arguably the biggest shoes possible on American television at the time. Yeah, and you know what 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 always liberated me was the fact that I never stepped into the shoes. Right. That was that was mm-hmm. probably one of the most amazing things that John ever did for me. After it was announced that I'd be hosting, it was it was obviously weird because it was a transition, but John was still there. And I would be in the building at times and people didn't know how to deal with it. And is this the new guy? Is this the old guy? Is, is, is John now a lame duck? How does this work? And, and John was really wonderful, man. He was so gracious and he was fun and he was interesting. And, and one day he called me into his office and he said to me, he did two things that were really amazing. One, he took off his shoes. Remember, I walked in the office and he took off his shoes. <laughs> and I was like, all right, this is clearly like white people things. Um, and and um and he said what size are you and i said uh um, size size 11 and he was like oh try these on i was like oh is this like a fitting i was like this is weird whatever and so i try to put my foot in in the shoe and i was like no i think they're too small and he's like ah yeah he's like i'm an eight and i was like okay I was like, in my head, I'm going, you know, the numbers exist for a reason. We didn't need to put, I didn't need to put my foot into your fresh shoe. It was just a weird, I was like, whatever. And then he said to me, truly, I mean, like, it's crazy. It's almost like this should be in a movie because it's like, it's not real life. And he said to me, 
I want you to remember that anytime somebody says you cannot fit into my shoes, understand that you have your own shoes to fill. Don't worry about mine. Hmm. And I, I didn't even appreciate it fully at the moment because no one had really been like coming for me at that moment. So I was just like, oh, that's really wonderful and lovely of you to say. And then the second thing he did was he took me to, over to his computer. He pulled up all the effusive articles about him leaving. And they were, John should never leave. He's the greatest and this. And, and he said, you see this? And I said, yep, yep, and, you know. And then he pulled up the same journalists who had written the exact opposite articles years prior. John should leave. John's not funny. John is, you know, he's out of touch. He's, but the ex- I'm talking, not, not the same outlets, the same exact writers and journalists who had written now how he could never leave and how TV, and yet they were the same ones. And he said to me, please remember that a lot of these people will be as fickle, you know, as they need to be. Try to find your true north and just go from there. And he said, like, just just remember this moment. Like, I've seen them hate me and I've seen them love me. So just try and find your true north. And those those two those two moments became some of the most important pieces of of wisdom that anyone could impart because I needed them for the storm that was about to come, which was us jumping into the launching of the show. Right. And it, and it was a storm for a, a whole bunch of different reasons, particularly because that's, you, you were joining right as Trump was kind of, uh, you know, running for office and things got, uh-huh. you know, a little nuts. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as a journalist myself, I actually interviewed Zubin Prang, who was your head writer. Yeah, yeah. Right after Trump was inaugurated, it was maybe like two or three weeks in, and I wanted to understand, like, how are you guys dealing with this? And it sounded like you were doing the same kind of, you know, general have a meeting in the morning, talk about stuff, but there was just an accelerated nature, and everything could change on a dime based on what Trump said or did that day. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me that a lot of, in terms of making decisions, a lot of time it was, you know, com- coming down to you and like, what was your gut check about what to do? So, in that kind of a chaotic environment, like how are you deciding, you know, what was, what you should go with that night? Like what was your, what were your kind of guiding principles? I think to, to fully understand the context of how we get there, you know, you have to understand how we, we started off. So initially when, when, when the show started off, you know, and Doug, you remember this, the first part of it was, can we get this show running? Just can, can we do it? Mm-hmm. All right. Can this guy, you know, can he work with a camera? Can he help write a script? What would, just can we do it? It was it was manic. And anyone who's done a daily show, and especially the daily show, which is such a unique beast because it deals with issues that aren't as light or aren't as easy to skim over as maybe, a, you know, another late night show, which is difficult for different reasons. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But it, it's such a slog in that way. We were just trying to get it done. And now you're dealing with, oh, you know, this guy's, his accent is weird. He says controversy wrong. He, you know, literally, literally, we got hate mail about that. People were like, he can't say, he needs to learn how to say controversy because Americans say what, controversy? Is that it? Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like all these, everything. And then people were complaining that people said we were racist because Ronnie Chang had a fake Asian accent. <laughs> and, and we were like, no, that is how he speaks. And they're like, how dare you make an Asian man get on TV and put on that demeaning accent? And we were like, wait, <laughs> this is his accent. Why are you saying it's demeaning? It was like a, what I call the woke, <laughs> the woke boomerang. You know, it's where people think they're being so woke 
that they in every, invariably end up becoming, you know, the shittiest person. And they would, you know, and then they were complaining that, oh, we were using a terrible prop idea of women being pregnant as funny when it's not funny because we had Desi Lydic pretending to be pregnant. She was pregnant, you know? So it's like all these pieces were, I mean, you could, it was just a barrage. I love that they think everything is fake on television. Your <laughs> accent, Ronnie Chang's accent, Desi's, Desi's pregnancy. But everything on the news, not fake at all. All of it's totally right. Yeah. So this was us. Just can you keep it going? 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 We're just trying with, you know, we're scraping, scraping, scraping. We have a few pieces that do well. We, you know, it was really a grind. And I mean, Doug, you remember this. It was a great, yeah. Yeah. It was a grind every day. Yeah. I mean, people don't, people don't understand how hard it is to do this show and yeah. and how hard you were working to just keep your head above water in the early days. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, we, I had to like throw out the ideas I had for the show and focus more on just keeping the show going at, right. at some point. Mm-hmm. And I'm eternally grateful because I had bosses who, they never made me feel like I was going to get canceled. They, ne- they just went, just make the show. And Doug would always say the same thing. He'd say, Trevor, I remember when John was finding his footing. No one remembers this, but I remember it. So keep finding your footing. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep working. And we did. And so what happened, Jen, was as you are saying, like, you know, Trump, we come in. This thing is bubbling, but it's not a real thing. There's always the crazy politicians before the real politicians really take over the race. Mm-hmm. There's just that, that moment. And I remember Trump was part of that. And my team would say, ah, don't worry. This guy, I was like, this this guy looks like he's going to do well. And they were like, no, no, no. You'll get used <laughs> to American politics, Trevor. This is, this happens. We have a bunch of, you know, wild politicians that, that stick out before the race starts. They're going to disappear. They're the Herman Keynes of this whole thing. Don't worry. Trump won't go any further. And I was like, oh, okay, it seems like he's, he's going to go well. It seems like he's really good at this. And we were we were just working, you know. So while America's gearing up for the 2016 election, we're gearing up just getting the daily show to where it needs to be. And again, timing was in my favor because we were at a place where we were able to sort of find enough of our footing just when the election was taking place. And that was chaos to your point. But I do remember saying to the team, the night of the election and the morning afterwards, I said, we now have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And what I meant by that was a lot of people felt like the Daily Show should only exist in a space of indignation and, and righteous rage. I mean, John, you always used to lament and say like, whenever, whenever people would write like about their favorite moments, top 10 John Stewart moments, it was always him eviscerating. And he's like, you know, I told jokes as well, right? You know, I made people laugh. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a multifaceted human being. But those were the moments that I and understandably resonated with people. And so people had this idea that The Daily Show can only be that and it should be that. And so very early on, I think you remember this, Doug, people would complain and be like, Trevor's not angry enough. Well, that you, there, people were just complaining because you weren't John Stewart, which is yeah. a lot. You know, that's that was a, that was a, that was at the heart of it. Yeah, they were like, "Where's his rage? Yeah. Where's his rage?" And you know, do you remember a moment where you felt like it all sort of came together for you or the show, or you felt like, "Okay, I got this. This is who. This is what I wanted to be. This is who I wanted. This is who I'm going to be. Be here." No, I th- no, I don't think there was a moment. I think I think we we had glimpses of that. You know, I think uh, Trump as an African dictator was one of the first ones That's right. mm-hmm. because that was one of the first moments where, you know, the the team did a really amazing job of helping me express my point of view, and my point of view was that Trump 
is a leader. It's just not the leader you're used to in America. So that was the first foray into me saying, I think you your perspective on this is not wrong, but mine is different. Right. Mm-hmm. And, fu- and funny. And yeah. And so that was like the first time I saw a glimpse of that. That's a great bit. You know, but then because of the nature of the Daily Show and it's daily, you, you know, n- with no no fault to anyone, it's it's a machine and it's very hard to move a machine because a machine is constantly moving. You know, so so it was trying to find more and more of those moments without letting the show itself slip. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you find your point of view while you're also expressing it in real time? I mean, I, I would make the argument, too, that everybody was doing, you know, righteous indignation all over the place on Twitter, on, on, on television, whatever. And one of the things I admire so much about you is just your sense of calm, your sense of, like Doug said earlier, poise. Oh, thank you. And in, I think in a lot of ways we needed that, too. Yes. <laughs> we and, needed somebody to be that voice for us as well. And, and a lot of these, you know, again, folks who were doing daily show like stuff around the dial were also doing a fair amount of that. So I thought Trevor really separate himself from the crowd mm-hmm. in, in that regard. Yeah, I, I do think I do think without the context that what I realized was because people don't know me and didn't know me rather, a lot of people interpreted it, interpreted that as apathy. Mm-hmm. You know, they go like, what, why are you so, con- this is why you can't have a non-American host. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about what's happening. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care. And I was like, no, I'm, this is how I process. This is how I am in life. You right. know, if you, mm-hmm. if, if you're ever in an airport and flights are canceled, you want to be with me. I don't, I don't panic. I don't stress. I don't shout at anybody. I'm like, you know. Well, America became a place where a line was drawn on almost every topic. And you had to be yeah. either on one side of the topic or the other. You still do. And I, that's just not who you are. You have always been somebody who's willing to look at everything in both sides. And Right. And I'm not going to shout about it really is, is, is the thing. I mean, candidly, I, I think I also realized very quickly that, you know, it, it may be a luxury that you have when you're white. It's like, your anger and your and your rage isn't necessarily seen as threatening. Like right. when you grow up in a in a black community, you, you're not, you know, you, you're taught very early on. Well, relax yourself with the rage. You know, like if a cop right. pulls you over and you're white, you can be like, "Hey, I'm late for work, buddy. What's this all about?" You know, as a black person, you can't show that you, you're angry that you're being delayed. It's like no, mm-hmm. you have to put that in the back seats and 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 focus on being as poised as possible. So. You know, it's definitely part of how I grew up, the world I grew up in, you know, right. how we were raised. So so it's, it's how you're processing what you're doing because you understand how you may be perceived. And that, that's just, it becomes an indelible part of who you are. Sure, sure. And that's precisely the reason I would imagine that Doug and, and everyone else wanted to have you because you were, again, you were different from John. You brought a whole different perspective to it. Yep. And then COVID which was, you know, I mean, it was one thing after another during the Trevor Noah era. But, you know, you, you got a, a lot of great attention, and I thought deservedly so during COVID, for really doing, I, I think, what most people thought was the best late night show from home. Um, wh- what was that like for you? Initially, it was novel. Then it became fun. And then it was really just dystopian, you know. <laughs> because initially it was, I, I mean, I, like everyone else, was just like, oh, we're going to be here for 21 days you know, maybe four weeks. Yeah, let's, let's try something fun, make it interesting, see how we do it. So what happened was when China was building the hospital overnight, like it was a 10,000 bed hospital that they were ramping up and, you know, Spain and Italy were going through the worst of the pandemic initially. And, and I, you know, things started shutting down around the world. And I said to David Meyer, who's, you know, now the director of The Daily Show and one of my closest producing friends, I said to him, I was like, hey, Dave, 
do you think there's a way that we could shoot the show from home if we needed to? And he was like, well, I don't think we'd ever need to, but <laughs> no. I was like, yeah, I think we need to figure out a way to do it. And, and I asked the team and they were like, well, you can't. It's, it's a whole TV show. You can't do it from home. I was like, yeah, I think we should find a way to do it. And they're like, why? And I was like, well, because we might need to do it. And they're like, no, we won't. What do you mean we'll need to do it? I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, I think we just might need to do it. I'm just going to put it out there. What if America shuts down? And I remember people were like, America can't shut down. This is America. And I was like, okay. And again, maybe because I come from a country where it can get shut down. I was like, well, maybe, maybe we'll get, I'm just saying. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then David just got to work. And he was like, yeah, he just found tech solutions. Like, yeah, how, here's how we can make like a you know, a home studio that uses few parts and how we can do this together. And, you know, you'll have to be your own lighting guy and I'll be the sound guy and camera and direct. And like, it's this whole, we're just going to have to find this whole, we're going to have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and you did. Yeah. And, and that's, and within we're figuring it out as we we're going, but now there's no audience. It's just you. It's, you know, and finding new ways to make the show. And now, you know, Jen Flans was just like, you know, really the general of this operation, making things happen and, how do you keep a building together when there is no building and everybody's at home? And like the editors, I always say, like they were the lifeblood of the show. I mean, they were putting in hours that they'd never put in before, you know, editing late into the night so we could get the show on. And it was, it was like people always say, but it was a team effort on another level. Everyone was pushed to their limit. Everyone, writers in isolation, you know, editors and producers working from home. Their, their apartments have become their studios you know, the, the correspondents, myself, we're all in our homes. Try, everyone was experiencing it in a very different way. And, you know, the one thing that kept me going was we were lucky enough to have jobs and to keep going. And so that's what we did. Must be tough to do all that with without getting the laughs. Yeah, you know, you know it, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm eternally grateful to New York City because I always felt like I was experiencing this thing with everybody. Like, right. I didn't leave. You know, I know a lot of people left New York. I know a lot of people went to other states or even just left the city of New York. I didn't, you know, every day I was here, you know, applauding at 7 p.m. with everyone else banging on pots and pans and, mm. you know, taking the, the one walk a day where you would see, you know, the makeshift morgue at Central Park being being built or you would walk through the middle of Times Square and not see a single soul. I don't think I'll ever see that again. And I don't think anybody you know, has, has, has ever seen that. But what it did was it, it, it connected me with people in, in, in a way that few things can. I knew we were all in it. I knew we were all in these shared experience. Yeah. We were all in it and all going through the exact same thing at the exact same time. We were all going through it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then it also just forced me to just be me at home. It's like, all right, well, I don't wear suits at home. Uh, I can't get a haircut because my barber can't get to me. Uh, it's like, well, well, welcome to Trevor. And let's, you know, let's just try to get through this thing. I think we have to ask now about leaving The Daily Show. And if you could talk a little bit about that decision, because I think it surprised a lot of people, just to put it mildly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, you know, just just like any uh, departure, that in my opinion is timed correctly or done at the right time, People should be and would be surprised, you know. Mm. Any good journey that comes to an end, I find is surprising. You know, it's 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 the journeys that aren't good that don't surprise people. You know, and when when someone's like, "Oh, you oh they leave," oh yeah, I'm not surprised. It's like, oh boy, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, you know, I think 
like John, I'd, I'd been on my journey, you know, and, and I always say to people, COVID was m- multiple years in, in a few years. And I don't think right. just for me at The Daily Show, I think for everybody sure. in the world, you know, we, we accelerated everything and we paused every other thing. And so it, 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 was, it was quite the experience. And I had I'd already been talking to the network about what the future would bring. What would we do? What would I do beyond the Daily Show? Was there a beyond the Daily Show? Um, you know, because I I knew from the very beginning. I was like, I I don't think I'll be here forever. I remember at the beginning, Doug, when people would say, John did it for sixteen years. Do you see it doing for sixteen? I was like, I I haven't done. It's a long time. Any one thing for yeah. three years, mm-hmm. like sixteen years, is a long time. So yeah, you know, I I never saw myself as as being someone who would just do this one thing forever. You know, it's, it's yeah, the timing became the timing. It was like the the when when does everything happen? Why is it going to happen? You know, and so mm-hmm. after talking to a bunch of people, I realized, all right, well, this this would be the time. Mm-hmm. There you go. I always I always saw you as somewhat restless. I never thought uh, in my mind that you were going to be a sixteen year person. Um, and seven years passed in a flash. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like you just started. Although, as you as you said, it was like dog years between Trump and COVID, and you know, oh wow! So uh, you, you know, I think you know you get in and you get out while you're still feeling good about everything, and you got more to say on on in a lot of different ways on different platforms, and you know, we look forward to hearing that going forward. I think I think also that's again with john you know one one thing i've always appreciated in life is is wisdom because wisdom is an experience that somebody has had and then basically has it on your behalf you don't have to go through it john said a few things that stuck with me he said some of them publicly as well john said when he left the show he was angry and he was tired you know and he said this he said to me you'll know when you're tired and you'll know when you know you start to become frustrated by either the cyclical nature of american news or you know, the pantomime of what happens. He said, you, he said, you'll know. And he said, but don't stay and don't stay until you're tired. Like, don't get to the point where you don't want to do it. You know, John, John has talked about publicly about how he knew that he had to leave because he didn't want to do things anymore. He's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know? And, and he was really, he was really wonderful in saying to me, Hey, you will know. Do it when you when you know, as opposed to waiting too long and then now resenting it or feeling like you're trapped in it or whatever. No, you don't want right. to ever have to escape The Daily Show. It's a beautiful gift. It's a wonderful opportunity. You don't ever want to escape it. And so like any good relationship, you know, I think you should know if you feel like it's coming to an end, you should be able to know how to end that as opposed to becoming this resentful force that now makes it end. And, and so, yeah, I was like, Till my very last show, I had energy, I had joy, I had peace, I had, you know, you, you know, you, you still want to have that little bit of you that's like, ah, oh, I, I could do a little bit more, I could do a little bit more. But as we'd always say with my friends, you know, when we play soccer together is, yeah, you know, when, you, you know when you're tired and you think you could do 15 more minutes, that's when you get injured. Yeah, exactly. Just walk away going, oh man, we, we could have done 15 more. We could have done, well, but you, you know what, now you yeah. can do 15 more because you didn't do 15 more. 
Trevor, you've been incredibly generous with your time. It was great having you. We we have a traditional final question, uh, and I'm going to have to switch it up for you, I think, because uh, because of, you didn't have cable TV growing up. We generally ask people, what's their favorite cable show of all huh. time? But I will just simply ask you, unless you have a favorite cable show, what's your favorite television show of all time? What is your favorite cable show of all time? Or, or just a, or, or your favorite TV show. It's interesting because your cable show, so your cable shows, if I understand correctly, you, you're basically saying are not the network shows, Not the right? network shows. So, yeah, right. So MTV, Comedy Central, CNN, ESPN, Lifetime, blah, blah, blah. I see. Yeah, no, we, we got it all on one thing and in one place. So, so I'm – no, then if I have a favorite – I do have – my favorite cable show of all time is South Park oh. by far. Oh, there you go. nice. We're having uh, – we're having Matt uh, and Trey will uh, our our guests here as well, so uh, our listeners can look forward to that. But Trevor Noah, congratulations on a tremendous run of the Daily Show. Thank you so much for being here today, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Trevor. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for the time. I appreciate you. So I found Trevor Noah to be incredibly thoughtful, uh, really giving us long and considered answers to our questions. I don't mean long in a bad way, just, you know, he really had a lot of thoughts that he wanted to share. And it, it, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. One is just, you know, that he got this this gig in a lot of ways without being as tested maybe as some other comedians might have been, at least in the U.S. Um, obviously he had great experience as a comedian, but he'd only had a little bit of experience on The Daily Show. And the fact that you all saw something in him is is impressive and that you went with him. And then the conversation that we had about the whole Twitter flap, like these kinds of things happen a lot. And it was really, for me as an observer, educational to hear you both talk through what was going through your minds when this all bubbled up. And I feel like that was what, 2015. And that's not that long ago, but I do feel like the way that it would be handled now might not be the same as, as you would have handled it back then. That, I think that's true. But let me let me go back to your to your first point. You know, he I mean, let's let's be honest. He was completely unknown and untested when, you know, when we gave him the job and, and there was, wasn't much to go on. You know, there was a really just a handful of Daily Show appearances. Um, we were looking at, you know, his stand up. We had, you know, I had gone to see him do his stand up live. There's you know some stuff on YouTube you can check out some other hosty type things he did. Uh, back in in South Africa. But, you know, it was largely a gut decision, which was he checked a lot of we thought he could do it. We thought he had all the tools. You know, if this were baseball, you know, I think you would refer to Trevor as a five tool player. You know, he can kind of do it all. He brings a lot of the intangibles to the job, which I think, you know, really go unnoticed if, if, if you're if you've never worked on a show like this, just how hard it is and what what's what's required from somebody like Trevor or John Stewart or Stephen Colbert or whoever it is, honestly. And, you know, we we took a chance. But, you know, was it risky? Yeah. Did I believe he could do it? Absolutely. And, you know, without trying to boast, you know, I, I you know, I had learned over the years to Try and you know, at MTV and Comedy Central and cable in the early days, we didn't have any money. Big stars didn't want to work with us. We had to go find our own talent and develop them. And so I just had a lot of trust in in, in instincts in terms of spotting talent and giving them the shot and see if you know they could get there. And I, and I really thought he was up to it. And you know he abs- he absolutely was. I think he 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 uh, proved that over and over. As to the Twitter fiasco, well, it, you know it was a slightly different day. My sense was. 
you know, he's not that guy. I had gotten to know him a little bit and spent some time trying to figure him out. And I, you know, I, and I think you just heard on this podcast, he's a really, as you said, very thoughtful, deep thinker. Um, and I honestly believe like a really good guy. So if I'm being honest, what really bothered me the most, and this was a different day, was that the jokes weren't that good. And, you know, this in a, in a, in an era that preceded the era that we are in now, we were a little more cavalier in how we programmed comedy. And, and we always were like, you know, it's got to be funny first. And so we just wanted him to be funny first. That's why we hired him. And I was like, wow, those jokes, you know, they're not good. And they're, and they're mm-hmm. not well thought out. And yeah, they're a little icky. But um, we thought he was the person to host the show. And we decided we were going to stick with him. And, and the storm passed. Might have been, yeah. diff- been a different thing in 2022 or 2023. Yeah. Although, as Trevor explained, you know, the fact that they weren't really well thought out jokes was exactly what he was doing. He was experimenting. He was a kid, kind of. And like, that's what you were. That's what people did on Twitter back in the early days. Yeah, I think I thought it was really interesting how he described how he used Twitter and people were kind of using Twitter way back when, you know, because they were discovered in 2015. But I think they were written in like. 2009 or something 12 or, or even yeah maybe even farther I think they were earlier or yeah. even earlier yeah so yeah it was it was interesting that he gave that all you know kind of context you know the, the other interesting thing about finding a new host of the daily show post john was you know there were a lot of big names in the news some accurate some inaccurate but what i can tell you is there were a lot of folks out there who wanted to be asked just to say they were asked mm-hmm. but had no intention of doing it mm-hmm. and and my larger sense was most people who had a name or a career or, you know, had, you know, were those marquee names in comedy, there was nothing to gain by replacing Jon Stewart, right? right? Like that very, very big, whereas Trevor had everything to gain, mm-hmm. right? If he struck out and and then nobody remembered who he was, big deal. That's, you know, he's no worse off. And he took the gamble and stepped into those shoes and pulled it off. And now everybody knows Trevor Noah's name. Right. And he's right. selling out arenas all over the world. So yeah. uh, it all worked out. I, I hope this doesn't put you on the spot, but I do want to ask you one question, which is, sure. I'm just curious, like when you're talking about having, going by your gut instinct with regard to talent or programming decisions, do you feel like TV executives can still do that in this particular moment when everything feels so fraught? Um, or are they just like looking at like a million pieces of data and like second guessing what people are saying on social media and all that kind of stuff? Well, that's a really fair question and a good question, Jen. I, 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 not having been in these buildings for five years and actually five years plus now, it's I, I don't know that you know what I'm going to say is completely accurate. My guess is they know it's it's a it's it's there's less reliance on you know sort of like that old school golden gut thing, which is the era I grew mm-hmm. up in. Um, right. I can and I really do feel like you know people who operated the way I did you know, were in decline or not there anymore, and that there's a greater reliance on data and information and analytics. And by the way, those are all great tools. I, you know, they are, and they, and they can be helpful in making a decision. I'm an, I'm an old school kind of guy, you know, sort of the get off my lawn guy and that I believe ultimately it's always about great people, great, great ideas, great people, and their uh, ability to execute against that. And that nothing mm-hmm. replaces that, like no amount of research, no chat bot, thing or or AI <laughs> or deep fakes or whatever you want. Maybe they get there one day and they might. Technology is amazing, but I don't think anybody I don't think anybody or anything ever replaces pure sort of human inspiration. But again, sure. that's just me. Right. Although I will say I do believe Megan could run a network. I think she would be a really good executive. I think she would be a very creative. 
But, you know, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're, we're, <laughs> we're getting there. You know, I did, you, you know, I will give you one fun fact, which admits the many names that were mentioned as potential John Stewart um, replacements. Chris Rock's name came up mm. quite a few times. And the truth is, Chris Rock's people did call me. and But what they pitched was Chris doing it short term. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, I think it was just going to be through the election of 2016. So I actually turned that down uh, mm. because I felt like, you know, we needed to find the host, get settled, get set and not have a not have an interim period where there was still yeah. going to be more speculation. And, 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 and Chris was only going to be there for a minute. But it wasn't it was very enticing. I'm a I'm a huge, huge Chris Rock fan. And it, and yeah. it was not easy to turn down that offer. I would imagine. And, and well, and in retrospect, it seems even smarter only because right after the 2016 election, the news got even more bananas and you would have wanted some stability yeah. not to have Chris leaving at that point and then trying to figure out who to go with next. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a good point. I mean, I don't think anybody – I mean, Trevor, that was trial by fire between Trump and then COVID and George Floyd and just everything else that was happening. I mean, there was a real demarcation point, oddly, like John seemed to leave at a at – a, at, you know, there was almost a period put to, to his whole era – including the news cycle. And it's yep. and then a whole new thing started with Donald Trump. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> well, <laughs> speaking of good times, we hope you had a good time listening to Trevor Noah. We enjoy talking to him and we hope you will join us next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher. Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.